For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I with the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in persons to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Please be seated. We have entered into a portion of Galatians that is very... um, Biographical. It's Paul giving his personal salvation testimony and his calling as an apostle of Christ. These verses contain the longest and richest autobiographical material we have from the pen of Paul. In fact, 25% of Galatians is a Paul talking about himself, writing about writing his testimony. Uh, the reason for this biographical section is not Paul promoting himself. He's not a narcissist. He's not uh, a megalomaniac showing, showing off about his, his, about his abilities or his resume. No, he shares his testimony primarily for two reasons. And uh, I'm going to start with the second reason first and the primary reason uh, second, second in order. So the first of all, the first reason he shares his testimony is He's doing it for a didactical purpose. He's being strategic here. He shares his testimony so that it would lead up directly to his confrontation with the Apostle Peter in the latter part of chapter 2. So if you go to chapter 2 and look at verses 14 through 21, there is an interpretive issue there. Is this uh, Paul speaking to the Galatians or is it Paul repeating what he said to Peter? when he confronted Peter uh, with the issue of adding the law of Moses to the gospel. It's an interpretive issue. We'll get to it uh, when we study it um, in a few weeks, few months to come. But I believe it is Paul repeating what he said to Peter. So Paul is sharing his testimony because he's setting it up to share with the Galatians what he told Peter. And he declared to Peter... At that instant, when Peter was being hypocritical, not being in line with the gospel of grace, he declared to Peter, verse 15 in chapter 2, We ourselves are Jews by birth. We are not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. For if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And then I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Take that, Peter. Right? Uh, how do you like this, Peter? This is what Paul told Peter. How can you go back to the law, go back to Judaism? Christ set us free. We were slaves to the law. Now he has given us grace. Peter, 
you are acting hypocritically, not in line with the gospel, you must repent. If Christ, if, if we are justified by the law, Christ died for nothing. And Peter said this, and he wants to say this to the Galatian churches. And so he shares his testimony in a strategic way to set up this event so that he might share the same truth with the churches at Galatia. That's the second reason I think he, he shares his testimony. The primary reason, the main reason is polemical, is to refute uh, these rumors, these apocryphal uh, rumors that were made about Paul, about his conver- conversion and where he got the gospel. Right? These men, these Judaizers, these uh, men who wanted to be teachers of the law, <coughs> they were twisting and perverting not just the gospel, but they were twisting Paul's testimony. They were saying uh, Paul was a late apostle, a late addition, and he got the gospel from Peter and James, from the Jerusalem apostle. And Paul got it wrong, right? Paul, it's like that game telephone, right? You play that game as a child, you have 10 people, you say a phrase to the first person, they whisper to the 10th person, and by the time the 10th person repeats what that, what that person heard, it's completely different or, or a change from the original statement. Well, this is what happened. You guys know Paul, he's not a good listener, right? He misunderstood, or he left some parts out out of fear of man, right? He got the gospel from Peter and uh, James, and he got it wrong. We are from Jerusalem, right? We know Peter personally. We know James personally. We can verify that our gospel is in line with the Jerusalem apostle. And when there is difference between our gospel and Paul's gospel, it's because Paul got it wrong. And we know Paul got it wrong because Paul got his gospel from these original apostles. And Paul's saying, look, right, you guys might know a lot of things more than I do, but I know my own testimony, right? I know my own life. I know what happened to me. And let me share with you, right, where I got the gospel, how I got it, who I was before Christ, post-Christ, and what happened to me with Peter and James in Jerusalem Three years after I became a Christian. That is the reason for Paul. Paul is uh, defending uh, himself and is is sharing his testimony for the gospel because they're attacking him. They're saying he's uh, twisted the gospel by getting it from these other apostles. So let's go to verses 11 and 12. And this is um, Paul's central defense. This is Paul's main claim. Verses 11 and 12, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul begins with that phrase, I would have you know, brothers. This is a phrase that Paul used in in different versions throughout his epistles. Uh, he, he he said, I don't want you to be uninformed, 1 Corinthians 11. I want you to know. I want you to understand. I would remind you. This was Paul's way of saying, I want to make this clear. Paul is, was clearly contrasting the way he received the gospel right, compared to these Judaizers. These Judaizers received the gospel from the apostles, from other men, but not for Apostle Paul. It's not man's gospel. Verse 12, I did not receive it from any human being. I was not taught it by any school or any classroom. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation of Jesus Christ. Apocalyptos, right? Revelation, unveiling, disclosing. So he's talking about it's both subjective and objective. Revelation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the one who revealed it to me. And what Jesus Christ revealed was the truth about himself. Who did I get it from? Jesus Christ. And what did I receive? I received the gospel, the message, the truth about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the revealer, and he revealed 
himself to Paul. This is not something Paul discovered on his own. Again, this is not something that some, some man taught him. It was divine revelation. This is uh, consistent with uh, what happened with the other apostles. Remember Matthew 16? Um, Christ gathered his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, and he gathered them, and he asked them this question, what do people say that I am? And the disciples were saying, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're one of the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter declared in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Messiah. You are the Christos, the son of the living God. I mean, for Peter to say that he was, um, his whole life, he was trained to say that this is heresy. This is blasphemy, right? That you say that any man is God, you'd be stoned that instant. I mean, he's, his conscience has been transformed. A grace broke through his heart. There was revelation, apocalyptos happening in his heart because his whole life has been reared in this Judaism that there's only one God. And now Peter was saying, you are God. You are the son, the same essence, humousos, as, as God himself. And Jesus replied to him, this was not revealed to you by men. This was not given to you by a human being and even yourself. It is not through your study or intelligence or your, 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 your seeking after truth. It was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. This was after two and a half years that Peter had been with Jesus. Peter knew Jesus. Right? He spent time with him. He ate with him, slept with him, right? heard him teach, saw him do countless miracles. But all that time, his knowledge was purely on a human level. When, when he stated this, you are the Christ, son of the living God, it was because God revealed Jesus to Peter. God opened Peter's eyes, right, broke through to his heart, and gave him understanding of the true uh, person of Jesus Christ. So from this, we learn that only God can truly reveal himself truly reveal his son, Jesus Christ, to any human being. It is not up to us. It is not up to us. It is singularly and solely the work of God. We may preach, teach, and share the good news with the lost and preach and teach and share the gospel with you, but only God can give us a revelation of Christ where there is this internal transformation radical reorientation the inner man where we have just in that moment our view of God of Christ Holy Spirit of scripture of ourselves of this world is changed and in that instant we're elevated to think God's thoughts after him and to see as God sees and to hear what God is truly telling us to experience what the Holy Spirit would have for us this is this is why we are praying, and this is why you must pray. All right? This is why prayer is such an essential component of church ministry. How we, we can, we, we, the formula is word and prayer. Word has no power, no effectiveness, no zeal and unction without, unless it is coupled by prayer. That your life is powerless. The Spirit of God is not upon us. Because lack of prayer, because our spiritual lives is not what we do, is what, what God does. Only what, only what God can do. I mean, this verses 11 and 12, in fact, Paul's whole testimony tells, if it tells us anything, it tells us this. That the Christian life, salvation, faith, is not, it's something that happens to you. Think about that. The Christian life is something that happens to you. It's not what you do. Right? Your job is what you do. Right? right? Your choice of school, your study is what you do. Right? You choose a spouse. 
You choose to have kids. You choose to buy this car or that car, or buy this house or that house, go on a certain vacation. Our lives is all about what we do. Christianity, salvation, faith, justification, sanctification is all what God does. Something that happens to you. It's like we had thunder and lightning this week, right? It's like getting hit by lightning. Right? You go out there and you get hit by lightning. And someone asks you, why did you do that? Right? Well, I don't know. I just wanted to do it. I don't see what it feels like to get hit by lightning. <clears throat> you can't blame anyone for getting hit by lightning. Something that happens to you. I was walking and there was light and I got hit by lightning. This is uh, what Paul's testimony tells us. We are, we are cemented. We are enslaved to our sin. We are enslaved to our pride of, of self-justifying, legalistic, works-based approach to God. And we, get hit by, we got hit by lightning. We experience the power of God. It's not, it's not something that we expected. This is not, look at Paul. We'll, we'll get to this. But Paul wasn't pursuing this. Paul wasn't expecting, yeah, in a year or two, I'll become a Christian. Right, right now, I'm angry at them. Right now, I'm trying to murder them. I'm murdering them. But in a year or two, I'll probably become a Christian. Right? I expect, I anticipate this to happen. No, Paul, that was the furthest thing from his mind. And that's the same thing for us. And some of you might, might say, well, I, I grew up in the church. Doesn't matter. Right? You grew up in the church. or elder's kid or pastor's kid or missionary kid. The state of your heart was, it's not something that you did to become a Christian. It's something that God did on your behalf. It happened to you through the power of God, the gospel. Romans 1.16. It is lightning of God. It is the power of God. With God's right arm, he stretched forth with this message of the gospel and he demonstrated his power by intervening in your life and my life and saving us. And this happened to us. I mean, there's so many testimonies concerning this. Uh, one testimony I, I heard of recently, I'd heard of this uh, years ago, uh, but I just read it again recently. It was a um, uh, testimony of uh, Blaise Pascal. Right? This guy, you know, one of those guys, right? Some of you guys are like Blaise Pascal, right? You read like science books and math books for fun, right? Like Isaac Newton, you know, invented or discovered calculus. He advanced it. He was not content with calculus, right? I was happy with algebra one and cal- uh, geometry. This guy, calculus, no, I want more, right? And he advanced it. I mean, he invented, he was a leading mathematician, scientist of his, of his time. Uh, he is the first one to mechanically devise an instrument uh, as, a, for a, as a calculator, and at the age of uh, um, uh, uh, late 20s, uh, November 1654, he had a near uh, fatal accident in his carriage, and God saved him. It, it changed his life. He renounced his self-serving activities, including mathematics and, and, and physics, and resolved to devote the remainder of his life to the worship of God and to the service of God. He died at a young age, the age of 39, in 1662. Uh, a few weeks after his death, one of his servants was going through his coat, and he noticed there was something sewn into his coat. He opened it up, and there, were, there was a parchment and a paper, and they were both exactly the same. And it was his salvation testimony. Apparently, he had kept it with him wherever he went. And when he bought a new coat, he took it out and he re-sewed in this new coat. And this is what the memorial said. It was called the memorial. His testimony said, In the year of grace, 1654, on Monday, November 23rd, from about half past 10 in the evening until about half past 12, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and scholars. Certainty, certainty, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, thy God and my God, forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is to be found only in the ways taught in the gospel. 
greatness of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I have separated myself from him. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. My God, wilt thou leave me also? Let me not be separated from you eternally. This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, I have separated myself from him. I have fled from him, denied him, crucified him. Let me never be separated from him. We keep hold of him only by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet. Total submission to Jesus Christ and to my Savior. Eternally enjoy for a day's training on earth. I will not forget thy words. Amen. Salvation happened to him. It happened to him. And he wrote it down. He kept it with him. Testifying of the gospel of God's grace that broke through and saved him. Salvation, conversion, faith, all those terms, synonyms, is something that happens to you where in that moment of salvation you experience the power of God, this overwhelming truth God's love toward us undeservedly by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And what's amazing, what's more amazing is that it's not just one time in the past. Right? I learned, I heard this week a sermon by Milton Vincent, and he was saying, I, I never saw this, Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to those who believe and that word believe is a present active participle is a do, to those who are believing. And the very next verse is the righteous shall live by faith. So the power of God, this dynamite of God, right, that happens to us is not a one-time event at the point of our conversion. And then from that point on, Christianity is something that we do. No, it's something that constantly happens to us as we keep on believing in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, present active participle, those of us who are continually being saved, it is the power of God. So the Christian life is uh, not just one-time power, but constantly something is happening to us. Every time we turn our hearts away from ourselves and from this world and we direct it on the gospel of Jesus Christ and we believe in that truth, we believe in Jesus, this happens to us. Power breaks through and renews our hearts. We are constantly being hit by lightning as we continue to believe in Christ. This is what happened to Paul. Right, Paul was unique. Paul was unique in that when, when, he, when he was saved, he was called uh, to be an apostle. It happened at the same time, directly by Jesus Christ. He's unique in that way. And so he's telling the Galatians, this is not something that I, I wanted or I chose. This happened to me. And it was given to me. I was saved and the gospel and the stewardship was given to me at the point of my salvation by Christ himself. And to support his claim, he gives three historical proofs from his own life and ministry. Three historical proofs from his own life and ministry. I want to, def I want to defend this truth that I didn't get the gospel from any man. And let me give you three evidences. The first one is... Uh, he didn't receive the gospel before he became a Christian, right? Somehow before he became a Christian, he heard it, right? He understood it. You know, he, 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 he received it, and then later he became a Christian. Before he was a Christian, he had no uh, openness to the gospel whatsoever. 
before he was a Christian. So I think many of us, we had heard the gospel dozens of times before we became a Christian. For Paul, he said, you know, before I became a Christian, from that, before that moment, I wasn't neutral to the gospel. I hated the gospel. I wasn't in any way partial to it. And, and I want you to know this. How do I know this? Because uh, of my, how I persecuted the church of God. Verse 13, you have heard, you know yourself. You have heard of my formal life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God, verse 13, violently, and I tried to destroy it. This, this, uh, how Paul tried to destroy the church is recounted in Acts 22, a graphic account of how Paul, like a bloodhound, he pursued Christians from city to city, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, voting for their execution, and further harassing them, even to the point of death. He, he was a violent man, a savage man, with a great zeal, setting about, his, about this grim work with, with, with hubris, with joy. The intensity of his persecuting zeal is revealed in that phrase, he tried to destroy it. Chrysostom put it, uh, he attempted to extinguish to pull down, to destroy, to annihilate the church. And Paul here uses an article before the church. It's the church. He wasn't just trying to destroy the church in Jerusalem or the church in Damascus. He wanted to destroy the capital C, the Christian church. He wanted to annihilate Christianity from the face of this earth. Why? What was his motivation? Verse 14, because of his zeal for Judaism. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Advancing is prokopto. It means to chop ahead. He was blazing a trail through uh, Judaism. Right? He was uh, he was LeBron James before LeBron James. Right? He was a man, a man among boys. Right? He was top of his class. Right? He he was excelling in Judaism beyond his peers. He was a protege for Judaism, and therefore he had extreme zeal for the tradition of my fathers. And when he heard about Christianity, his zeal was directed towards them. And this word zeal um, recounts, Maccabeans use this word often. And uh, the Maccabean revolt, they, they did a physical uprising against the Roman government. For them, they were not pacifists, right? They were not into nonviolent resistance. They were into physical resistance. And they owed their uh, tradition back to Phineas, right? Back in uh, Numbers 25, uh, the, the, the Israelite people were intermarrying with the Moabites, and there was Phineas. While they were grieving and repenting over the sin, a, a Jewish man walked in with a Moabite wife, and what did Phineas do? He got a spear, went to their tent, and he stabbed both of them, and he killed them in his zeal for, for uh, purity of Israel. The Maccabeans extolled that kind of example. And in their zeal, they used violence and force to uphold Judaism. And Paul was the same. In that tradition, he wasn't, he wasn't into debating. He wasn't into de- arguing with Christians. He wanted to use violence to destroy Christianity. He was so zealous for it. So when he heard that the Christians believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and this Messiah was crucified on the cross, and cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, so they, they considered the Messiah for the Jews cursed by God. And then when he heard that they were worshiping him as God, John 10, 33, that's the first he said, we are trying to murder you, we're trying to kill you because you claim to be equal with God. That's blasphemy. For Paul, he could not bear this. He could not tolerate this. So he was so provoked to anger, he attacked Christianity and physically tried to destroy it. So pre-Christ, there was no, he didn't, he wasn't open to the gospel whatsoever. 
He didn't receive the gospel before Christ, before he became a Christian. Secondly, his conversion and call. This is the positive proof that he received the gospel from Christ and not from any man. Look at verse 15. But when, right, this is the contravening work of God. Paul is set in one direction, right, but God intervened in Paul's life. Verses 15 through 17 constitute one long sentence in the Greek. And 15 through 17 is God-centered. Right, verses 13 and 14 is I persecute the church of God. I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my elders. It's all about Paul. Verse 15 and 17 is all about God. But God did this to me. And I discovered he had done this before the creation of the world. He uses uh, three clauses to describe what happened to him and why it happened. It's uh, because he w- it pleased God. Right? God did all of this. God uh, set him apart. God called him. And God revealed his son all because it pleased the father. For his own delight, he did this. He uses three clauses to describe what God did. First of all, God set Paul apart. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, he said, said it there as well. He was set apart for the gospel of God. Literally, that word means determined beforehand, to fix a boundary, to cordon off for a special purpose. God set Paul apart, and when did he do this? It wasn't, not, it wasn't when Paul was older. It wasn't in his teenage years. It wasn't in the womb. Ephesians 1.4, before the creation of the world. Before anything existed, God in his wisdom, God in his sovereignty, according to his own pleasure, set Paul apart for the gospel. We, uh, we do the same thing with Jeremiah's calling. Prophet Jeremiah, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So Paul says, I had no choice in this matter. I was hit by lightning. And it was determined that I would be hit by lightning before there was anything created. I had no choice. It was not up to me. I was set apart according to God's pleasure. I was pressed and chosen Chosen and pressed into service by God's sovereign and stubborn grace. Secondly, second clause that Paul used was he was called. Paul was chosen, set apart before uh, creation. And then in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, God called him through the Spirit. This is um, a theological truth, calling. Right? Uh, when, when God calls us, you know, that's why um, Romans 1, 7, 2 Peter 1, 10, we are, we, the Bible calls us the called ones. Because we were, call, if you're a saved, if you're a Christian, you were called by God. Now this calling is, is different than how we call one another. This calling by God is efficacious. It's effectual. It's irresistible. Right? It's not like how we call one another. A few weeks ago, one of the brothers at church called me uh, 7 o'clock at night. Right? And he called me and said, hey, can you come out and play? Right? Can you come out and play ball? We're going to play a few blocks down. Right? We want to play. And so I'm, I'm a man, I'm a pastor, I'm a husband, I'm a father of five. Right? So I said, let me ask my wife. <laughs> i got to get, get permission. Because if I don't, then I'm going to eat soy sauce and rice for the next few weeks. So, so you're calling me, but it's not up to me. Right? Because, you know, right? my wife said, go ahead, praise God, pray for like a few hours. That's not what God didn't like, call to ask. Will you be saved? Can you be saved? Do you mind being saved? Do you mind cooperating with me and listening to me and, so that I can save you? No, God's calling is wholly different. The best, I think, the illustration in the Bible is Lazarus. 
right? Lazarus, can you come out and play? I can't. I stink. Right? I smell. Why do you smell? Why don't you take a shower? No, I've been dead for four days. Right? I can't take a shower because I'm dead. I can't hear anything. Right? I don't have, my heart's not even beating. So when we, we call out the people who have died, nothing. Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And with, with his grave clothes, he came out. Right? And he was walking and he was alive again. This is what Paul was saying happened to me. Before I was born, God set me apart. I was born, but I was spiritually dead. I was dead. In trespass, he called me, and I was given life. And then thirdly, God revealed this unto me again, apocalyptos. Apocalypse, God revealed this unto me. In order that, and it's all a purpose, God so Paul's unique. God set him apart. God called him. God revealed in order to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And I have so much here that I want to say, but time prevents. So much about he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And this was the reason for the controversy and the suffering in his life. If he was called to be an apostle to the Jews, he would not suffer as he did. Right? Pete and the other disciples didn't suffer like Paul. Paul was unique in his suffering because he had to take the message of the gospel to Gentiles and the Jews persecuted him because Jews persecuted Christ. They hated Jesus. They killed Jesus. And they are now persecuting Paul and they are conspiring to kill Paul as well. This was the reason. But at the same time, Paul loved the Jews. Right? What did he say in Romans 9? Oh, I wish I, was, I, I myself was a curse for the sake of my people. Romans 10, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that they might be saved. So wherever he went, Romans 1.16, to the Jew first and also the Greek, he made it a point to preach to Jewish people first and then to Gentiles. But he preached faithfully to the Gentiles because he knew God's sovereign plan in Romans 11, that God was saving the Gentiles to provoke Jews to jealousy so that one day Jews might be saved. So Paul's conviction, biblical conviction was when the full amount of Gentiles would come in, then Jews would be saved. So he was at work preaching the gospel to Gentiles. One of the main motivations was because he loved the Jewish people, the very people who were persecuting him. I mean, how amazing is this? This is why Paul was saved, in order to be a light for the Gentiles. And so he says, this is when I got the gospel. So pre-Christ, I clear. How I became a Christian was from Christ. Thirdly, third historical reason is his independence from the other apostles. His independence from the other apostles. 16b, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I didn't consult with anyone. I, 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 in fact, didn't even go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, we don't, there's a, lot, there's a, whole, a whole lot of uh, ink spilled on why Paul went to Arabia. And uh, at the end, they write all these things. I spent all these hours reading and they say they really don't know why, they, why he went to Arabia. Because he doesn't say why he went to Arabia. So he went there to preach the gospel or he went to spiritually rest and repent of his sins, and some say he, he went to do both, right? So he went to Arabia, but he didn't go to Jerusalem to consult with the apostles there. And after verse 18, three years, he went to Jerusalem, and he went not to uh, get approval from Cephas, not to get his uh, you know, uh, gospel card stamped or get to submit to, to Peter. He went to visit with Peter, right, to get to know him, so that Peter might get to know Paul, so they might fellowship together. But when they first went, Romans 9, 20, uh, Acts 9.26, nobody would welcome him. They were hiding from Paul because they knew this is trickery. Right? This is his, he's being a double agent. Hide, run, don't fall for this ruse by this Saul guy. He's trying to arrest us and kill us. No one believed him except to Barnabas. Son of encouragement. Barnabas said, I'm going to stick my neck out and welcome you. And Barnabas was the bridge that brought Paul and Peter and James together. And it was only 15 days. And his time with them was for fellowship. It was not for, uh, for Paul to align his gospel with the Jerusalem apostles. Right. 
Verse 20, I am not lying to you. Then I went to the region of Syria and Cilicia. I was unknown to the persons in Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, verse 23, right? He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And then verse 24. And verse 24 um, ought to be the goal of our lives. I ought to be, this is what we're striving for, right? This is why we want to give our testimony in a certain way. This is why we want to talk about ourselves in a unique way. This is why we live our lives in a certain way. Because we want verse 24 to be real about us where other believers glorify God because of me. So this is what you want. You want believers to glorify God, but not glorify you, right? Not praise me. We want the whole church, our gathering, to be glorifying God because of one another. So when you hear about these guys being trained, glorify God. You hear about India missions, glorify God. You hear about what your brother or sister is doing? You want to glorify God. Because the way you share about your testimony, the way you share about your life, your job, your family, right, your work, your friendships, your ministry, you want to do everything so that believers will glorify God. So Paul, this is a reality in his life, right? Believers glorified God because of him. They kept on hearing, aquantes, Right? It wasn't just one. They kept on hearing about Paul and how he was preaching the gospel of grace in the midst of suffering and persecution. And they glorified the Lord. Timothy George wrote in his commentary, against the machinations of Satan who dominates this present evil age, against the insinuations and plots of the false teachers who would pervert the true gospel, against heresy and schisms, against persecution and hardship, against all of this, this verse tells us, our God reigns. God's kingdom, God's eternal will, God's purpose and grace, God's plan of salvation, God's building up of the church, God's transforming work in the life of every sinner, even so notorious as one as, one as, as Paul the persecutor. For all of this, we too, along with worshiping Christians of every age and place, we lift our hearts in praise, adoration, and triumphant hope because of the gospel's work and such a sinner's life and so this is paul defending his claim that his gospel is not made up by man he didn't receive it from 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 people even the apostles he received it directly from christ and his pre-christ his conversion and post-christ life prove this fact now let me close our time with four thoughts Four thoughts to um, just learn some truths from this, this passage. Um, remember last week we looked at verse 10. Am I still trying to please man? Right. So that means Paul was once a man pleaser. That means all his efforts and zeal in Judaism was in his effort to uh, please man. Now, everybody, right, we are all infected with this. Non-Christians are enslaved with this. It's just different who we want to please. For Paul, he wanted to please Gamaliel, right? I don't know why anyone wants to please Gamaliel. But for Paul, right, Gamaliel was a very important, for fellow Pharisees, was very important, right? For others, right, it was the tax collectors. It was the drunkards, right? For others, right, it was uh, the Gentiles, Roman soldiers, right? We all have the fear of man, it's just, we just fear different people. We just want to please, diff- we, we judge one another. Oh, why do you, you know, why do you f- follow his Twitter account, right? Why do you care what that person is doing? Right? Why do you care what that person thinks of you? We judge one another. But at the same time, we have the same fear of man. It's just, it's just different. And so we're blind to it. We just see other people's sins. We don't see ours. How did Paul break free from this slavery of pleasing man? By learning to fear the Lord through the gospel. 
by learning that we can only please God through Jesus Christ. He learned this secret. If you try to please people, what you end up with is people's displeasure of you and God's displeasure of you. If you try to please a person, you will end up that person being unhappy with you, displeased with you. You'll experience rejection. More importantly, not just his rejection, God's rejection. Now, if you seek to please God through faith in the gospel, you gain both. If you seek to please God because of the gospel, you, you get the pleasure of God, and people glorify God because of you. C.S. Lewis said this, right? Um, He said, the woman who makes a dog the center of her life loses in the end not only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. The man who makes alcohol his chief good loses not only his job, but his palate and all the power of enjoying the earlier and only pleasurable levels of intoxication. It is a glorious thing for a moment to feel for a moment or two that the whole meaning of the universe is summed up in one woman, glorious so long as other duties and pleasures keep tearing you away from her. But clear the decks and arrange your life so that you have nothing but her to love and contemplate her. What happens? Of course, this law has been discovered before but it will stand rediscovery. It may be stated as follows. Every preference of a small good to a great or a partial good to a total good involves the loss of the small or partial good for which the sacrifice is made. You can't get second things by putting them first. You get only the second things by putting the first things first. He said elsewhere, and he's clearer here, put first things first, and we get the second thing thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both the first thing and the second thing. So Paul was released from pleasing man because of the gospel. He discovered pleasing God through faith. And what was the result? He was able to please people. People were able to glorify God. So if you have, you want to please your spouse, you want to please your friends. I had a guy years ago saying like, like, man, like he said, he was confessing how for so many years he was ensnared, enslaved to fearing me and pleasing me. And I I wanted to say, you haven't done a very good job with (laughs) it. Right? If you're gonna please, if you're gonna have it, you just at least do it right, right? Right? So you wanna please people, if you put that first, right, you're gonna gain their displeasure and you're gonna lose God's pleasure. You lose everything. Right? You want people around you right, to be happy with you, to be pleased with you, right? Then you put God first. Then you get that second thing thrown in. Right? You get it thrown in. And Paul is an example of that. Secondly, Christianity, spiritual life, Christ-centered life, this justification by faith alone is something that happens to you. So we must pray. Therefore, uh, pray for your spouse. Pray for your children. Pray for your pastors. Pray for me. Pray for Dan. Pray for Bob and your leaders, ministry leaders, your caregiver leaders. Pray that They'll be struck by lightning. Right? God, would you would you intervene? Would you break through? Right? Would you come down? Would you intervene to a mighty work of grace in their lives? Right? Would you strike them with the power of God? I mean, the power of God is not in a volcano, it's not in the sun, it's not in the universe. Power of God, the Creator, is in the gospel, in this message. God, would you grant them faith to experience His power 
for their salvation and more importantly for their sanctification. That this grace event would happen to them every single day and their heart would be full of joy and peace, fire, certainty, tears of joy in their lives. Out of the overflow of that, they will live their Christian lives. Out of the overflow of that, there will be a radical change. And this is where it makes all the difference, right? Like a family, you know, ministry, a church. It's not about what we do. It's, it's what happened to us. I believe that with all my heart. Your family, ministry, it's not what we do. We're so concerned about how we should do things. But our concern is to, be, to pray and to wait for God for, so that it might happen to us. Because when, that, when God gives us power through His Son, that changes everything. That changes the inner man. Right? That changes our hearts. Instant transformation in a sense where we see, we understand, our hearts are humbled and broken. And that affects everything. Thirdly, um, right. in your life, uh, are you uh, glorifying God or glorifying yourself, glorifying man? Right. You know, you're, we talked about you know basing your sanctification and your justification last week and the past few weeks. Are you basing your sanctification on your sanctification? You're basing your how you'll grow based upon what you do. So because your Christian life is all about how you're growing by what you do. Your Christian life is all about what you do. Therefore, what people hear is all about you. What you hear in your internal monologue is all about you. It's all about I, 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 I. Because Christian life is all what you have done and what you, have, what you didn't do. And so you're perpetrating uh, it's a cult of personality. You're perpetrating a man's centeredness, not through your words per se, but just in the gaps. There's a lot of double speak. Right in your in your conversations, in your statements, in your teachings, and you are not glorifying God. Uh, you're glorifying yourself. Your testimony is the center is the unholy Trinity, me, myself, and I. Right? Your testimony is, and your life story is all about what you did and what you are doing. Right? Are you living your life and sharing your life where everything confirms God's sovereignty? God's sovereign grace. Everything that you say and believe and share, it confirms God's sovereign grace, right? God's electing grace, right? The centrality of God in all things. And He unilaterally doing everything, does it confirm that? And then um, finally, I wrestled with uh, sharing this last one or not. I want to end it with the Gospels to not discourage anyone. You know, are, are you, uh, you, you maybe you're not glorifying God. Maybe you're not glorifying yourself so much. But you're uh, perplexing believers. You're confusing Christians. You're confusing your leaders. Right? You're causing fellow believers to question the Gospel. Because that's strange. A person, like Paul, his life, his conversion and his life glorified God because it was a testimony the gospel works. Well, some believers, they profess the gospel and it doesn't work. Or they were persecuting the church before and they're still persecuting the church. Right? Their lives are all about hurting people. Still, as Christians, they're all about offending, stumbling, discouraging Right? Arguing, offending, sinning against fellow believers. Right? They are persecuting church before Christ, and now they're still persecuting Christians after Christ. And so people are perplexed. Your leaders are perplexed. Your, your pastors, your elders are confused. Doesn't make sense. Right? You're discouraging believers left and not right. And there's a lack of gospel transformation, lack of gospel growth. Right? 
the gospel compels us to consider our lives worth nothing if we may only advance the cause of Jesus Christ. Everything has become relative. Everything else, right? Money, possessions, family, right? Career, relationships, everything is completely relativized because we are struck by the power of God and He has become everything. But your life is you're in a thick of thin things. And so the gospel is relative to you. And the other things are central. So it's causing fellow believers to be confused, to be perplexed, and they um, question the gospel. What is the reason for this? It's because you began by faith and you went back to Egypt and you're trying to live the Christian life on your own works. And you made the second thing the primary thing and you're losing both. You're not glorifying God and you're not encouraging believers. You reversed it. You reversed the gospel. And this is not what I said. This is what Paul said. Galatians 3, 1. You know, I like the paraphrased version. You idiots of Galatia. And I'm talking to myself here. I'm a fool. I'm an idiot. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Galatians 3.1 It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I preached the gospel to you. I didn't preach to you the law. And when I preached the gospel, I didn't preach about Christ. I preached Christ to you. And it was so powerful, you all saw him with your eyes of faith. He was crucified. When you gathered together, you saw him crucified for your sins. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or simply by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish that having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplied the Spirit to you and worked miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Ask your wife or husband, Am I an encouragement to you or do I hurt you? Am I persecuted? Am I always on you? Am I with my selfishness and sinfulness and pride? Am I just spying on your freedom and trying to trouble you and burden you and lead you astray and angry at you? Right? Ask your friends. Right? Do I do you glorify God because of me? Or do you question God because of me? Right? Ask your those who care for your souls. Those who care for your souls, are you? Are, do you believe the gospel all the more because of me? Or are you perplexed about the gospel because lack of fruit in my life? The answers are true, and by any one of those people, it's because you started by saying, my Christian life is what happened to me. God saved me. And then you slid back to making it what you do for God, rather than continuing in the race of faith. God, we ask for your help. We ask for the Spirit. We ask that you would, through the power of the gospel, you would strike us, Lord. Lord, you would strike us with your love, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your patience, your gentleness, or your meekness. We would, we would, Lord, you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, we are in the church. We are Christians who know the word. But how many of us, Lord, in our inner man declare you are the Holy One of God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that is the 
the, the heart testimony, God. That is our, our true declaration. God, we humbly ask, we plead with the Spirit to do this work daily in our lives through your sons so that we might glorify you because of one another. There will be this um, just wave upon wave of believers in our church glorifying you because of the lives that you have produced here in our church. In Jesus' name we pray.